Hi guys, welcome back to Into the Light, A Different Life Story. Or shall I say, My Steps to Sobriety, because <laughs> we're actually changing the title of our show. And the reason is that Into the Light, A Different Life Story actually describes perfectly what we are doing, uh, bringing beautiful guests that have gone from darkness into the light. But the problem is, it is such a vague and abstract thing that People actually don't find us, don't find me. And I've got so many guests whose message is so important. So therefore, we've decided to actually go back to the original title of our show, My Steps to Sobriety, uh, because sobriety is, is really a side issue that people are trying to, to numb themselves and escape their reality. They do so because of the trauma, because of the things that have happened to them, all these kind of things. So my show will not change whatsoever, but the title is changing. So My Steps to Sobriety uh, will be our old and new title. So <laughs> welcome to the new evolution of my show, so to speak. But we are still bringing on fantastic guests and today is another day for a beautiful interview i've got kyra fanstrom with me she is a well one two percent swedish shield maiden um <laughs> but that viking origin uh is enough to to actually have really changed her into a conqueror and a true conqueror of bliss that's exactly the, the the name of her show. And it is, her story is, is a story of transformation uh, and a story of not giving up. And therefore I thought I need to bring, bring Kara onto my show because that is what we're all about. It is wherever you are in your journey, it might be in a really, really dark, dark place where you have no hope and no, you think it's, it's all, worthless and there is there will never be any help you're wrong and i'm so pleased to say that because i was in that spot you will get out of it and there are ways forward and guests like kara are so important to actually show you that so kara i'm absolutely honored to have you on my show welcome thank you for having me i'm very excited to be here mm -hmm. You are the conqueror of bliss. You are a woman. You're a woman. You're actually a lifelong learner. You are a woman who, who does not take things for granted. And you have made it a call to say the past does not equal the future. And that 100%. is exactly that's brilliant. But uh, let's let's start at the beginning. Um, when you were about six, did you go to your mommy and say, Mommy, I figured it out. I'm going to be a conqueress of bliss. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> no, no. When I was about six, I wanted to be an interpreter. And I can speak zero languages fluently outside of English. So I have not succeeded at all in that. Uh, tell me more. How did your story continue there? What did actually become out of Yankara? Well, that's a really interesting question. So I, it didn't work out most. Okay, it's a silly story. But my grade eight French teacher told me that I should major in French because I was really good at it. And I was always a contrarian to my core. So, of course, I dropped French the next <clears throat> semester. And um, so uh, so that's what happened is my contrarian, 
you know, ruined my plans, which was not the only time nor the first time, but it's okay. Cause it led me to a really interesting path where I ended up um, actually like graduating late because I got addicted to drugs and then got clean and kind of have had this wild, weird adventure of a life that I never could have expected. Um, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> and I love it how you have reframed something that must have been a horror trip for your parents um, into <laughs> something really positive. I guess that's that's already a, one of the biggest skills that you can have to actually be able to take the negative emotions out of something and look at it for what it was and still love yourself despite or maybe even because of what you have done. And that's that's powerful. Hell, that's a lot mm -hmm. of insight uh, for a younger woman, may I say? Um, it took me it took me uh, another 20 years to probably figure that out. So you <laughs> you're a clever girl. So how did that all come about? I mean, this 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 very beautiful positive insight uh, is gorgeous that you have now. But it only that comes, in my opinion, only because you have seen the darkness. So whilst you have mm -hmm. already reframed it, are you happy to talk about the darkness? Absolutely. So um, it was a bit of a bit of a long time coming. There was a lot of, I want to say, challenges growing up. Um, we were raised religious. I have two brothers. That's who the we is. <laughs> um, and we were raised religious. And unfortunately, there was a lot of religious trauma that came with that, a lot of sexism. And then once we left the religion, it um, we were put into public school. And so there was a lot of bullying and stuff. So really, my initial turn into that world came from wanting to be accepted and wanting to be loved and feel like I mattered. And so that's when I started binge drinking when I was 12 um, with some peers and stuff. And then when I was 14, my parents decided that we were going to move, which was a reasonable decision. Um, and then there was this really big party and a lot of trauma ended up happening at that party. And then we moved. And then because my parents were not trauma informed, which is fairly common, I think, for people my age, um, the response was to punish me for the behaviors, the actions out of trauma instead of um, getting help, which again, I think is normal because trauma was not well known in the early 2000s. It wasn't well understood. And the behaviors that I was exhibiting weren't well understood. And so my parents sent me away to live with this family that they'd met in um, online. And I lived with them for a few months and it caused a lot more trauma as is often the case with these kinds of things. And I know I'm laughing, but that's because I, I get uncomfortable um, and then I laugh. Um, and then uh, and then when I returned, I ended up diving much further into uh, drugs. So it started with just ecstasy and evolved into cocaine. And before uh, before long, I was addicted to crack um, and really struggling to survive. And I was I was 16, 17 at the time that I got addicted to crack. And uh, yeah, I mean, I can answer more questions. I'm never sure what details are interesting to people. Oh, please. So, <laughs> I mean, for me, the, the practical side would be, I mean, how easy was it to get access to uh, to drugs at that time? Ecstasy was around the 2000s, was absolutely mm -hmm. massive in Europe and probably still is. 
Um, the question, of course, is what do you really get on the street? So just mm -hmm. a quick, quick fact from a doctor's point of view. There was a beautiful study run about the early 2000s where uh, a bunch of researchers went out on a Saturday night in the UK and collected 24 ecstasy tablets. So paid for them, went to raves, bought them, and then brought them to the lab and started analyzing them. And from memory, mm -hmm. out of the 24, uh, about four had some ecstasy in them. Um, others had ketamine in them, basically the, a nice date rape drug. Others had talcum powder and all kind of crap in them. So fact is, whatever you get on the street and someone tells you, hey, this is really good shit, you have absolutely no clue what kind of concoction you get. So that's just that throwing it out there. But assuming... Yeah. That, that you had the real drugs? How easy were they actually uh, to get hold of? So I would actually say that we were pretty aware that it was not likely to be MDMA or M mm. MDA. Mm. Um, we just, they were just press pills and they were shockingly easy to get our hands on as right. teenagers. Right. Um, like it, it wasn't ever an issue to source, to source the drugs and, uh, and same with the cocaine. And I actually ended up, um, a lot of my peers ended up distributing uh, cocaine and, and crack and heroin at the time um, and have since obviously, maybe not obviously, but have since stopped. <laughs> um, but I, I knew people who, who were distributing it. So it was a lot easier to access. Um, was it at school? Or? Um, we all kind of went to different schools. We were just friends from, from the park and, uh, and just sort of, I think we were just, a lot of us were struggling and sad and feeling like we didn't belong. And, we felt, you know, we belonged together and, and it wasn't all of them, but when the opportunity to make a lot of money um, as teenagers came along, it was a really easy question for them. Mm -hmm. And so none of them would sell me crack, which is good on them. Um, they would, they would sell me cocaine though. Um, and so, yeah, like uh, it all just kind of fell into like before, before any of us knew what was going on, because we were so young, um, it was just an entire lifestyle. Did you, were you able to hold it together at school or did you very quickly just drop out? That's a good question. Um, I always got good grades at school, but I did like, I went, I went to eight different high schools um, over the years. And so that would be from grade, I think eight to 12. So I think it's supposed to be four years of school mm. or five maybe. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I went to eight different high schools between whatever age I was supposed to start high school. And then I, I finally graduated um, when I was 19 and a half, almost 20 um, in a second, like an adult education program. Did, and was that the eight different high schools? Was that because you were expelled due to your, your behavior? Or was it because you moved around for various circumstances? Um, so the first... <clears throat> The first high school I went to, we moved away. So I was in high school at 14 when we moved. Um, and then we were put in an alternate school because it was partway through the year. And then after that, I went to a really well, um, I don't know, lauded, like, like a very nice high school. Um, and then I dropped out of that. And I don't even really remember why, to be honest, but I left that high school. And then I went to a career tech school. And then I left that because my brother dropped out and Really, that's the only reason is because I wanted to be near my brother and we used to like help each other with our homework and stuff. 
And then I went to another high school and then eventually, um, so or I went back to the ultimate school and eventually I just kind of stopped going and went to rehab. And so I did school in there and Quebec education is very different. I was in Quebec for a rehab and it's very different than um, BC education. Mm-hmm. And then when I came home, like there's, there's a couple of distance educations and stuff in between. I'm not sure where. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then I finally came home uh, clean yeah. and, yeah. uh, and finished my high school at a, an adult education center, but I graduated with honors. So yes. not too bad. <laughs> no, and it, but it shows, it shows. I'm not surprised that you can't remember if you were to ask me, Hey, look, you know, what did you do when you were, uh, I don't know, 40? Um, it would have been a blur, <laughs> absolute blur. It is just, yeah. When you're in active addiction, you're, you are, you are very busy. You're very, mm-hmm. very busy. In the morning, you try to hide that you're hungover. Then you try to get somehow through the day because you haven't slept forever. Then by the afternoon, you're trying to source your alcohol after work. And then you hide that you have bought alcohol. Then you hide that you're drinking the alcohol. Then you hide that you're drunk. And then you pass out. <laughs> so it's it's a full-time job, just drinking. And you actually played with other trucks there. So no mm-hmm. surprise that that your memories are a bit uh, professed. Um, <laughs> no, and but that is what it is. It it was what it was, and mm-hmm. but someone never gave up on you because you wouldn't have had the, the money. Uh, most addicts who make the money as quickly as they make it, they they spend it. Uh, do I assume the same for you when you were when you were in those teenager years? Oh, absolutely. I was working three, three part-time jobs and had no money for it, but it was actually the, uh, the government that had my back, uh, the uh, Canadian government. They funded my entire trip and, uh, for my family to come visit, even they made sure that I had food and spending money for the times that we were out. Oh, so, wow. So that was, yeah. that was in rehab now I'm, I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm, oh, wow. That's that, what a, uh, uh, breath of fresh air yeah. um, okay so how would you first of all what made you go into rehab what you know, that's a, that's was a, there a catalyst um, for sure of course uh, so basically I was smoking crack and I was in my my bathroom or my parents bathroom uh, which is where I would go and I would pretend like like you were talking about like the whole little game that you would play right so I would I always thought it was normal but I now realized that it was extremely not normal I would announce to the house that I was taking a bath and so no one come in because I'm taking a bath and it like it was so silly but anyways so this day that I was smoking crack I looked in the mirror actually is what happened and and I just sort of the only way I know how to describe it is like, I saw my life flash before my eyes, like, but it was really like my potential. I saw, you know, I could kind of hear all of these people talking my whole life about how I had all this potential and I'm going to do great things. And you have so much energy, Kara, and you're so smart, Kara. And, you know, all of this stuff that people would always say to me, because I'm very blessed with support, like have been my whole life. Um, I'm a very loved person and grateful for it. And so I'm looking in the mirror and I can just kind of hear all of this and I can see myself and I feel so broken and so hopeless and so alone, even though I knew that all I had to do was step out 
and, and it would all come back. And so I went to the, uh, the drug and alcohol counselor that was kind of attached to the school that I was going to and said, I need help. And I need, I need to go somewhere and I need to go somewhere far away because what would happen is that I would, every time I tried to do rehab or detox, I would call my mom and I'd manipulate her into letting me come home and just dive right back into it. So I knew, I knew I needed to go somewhere that my mom couldn't come pick me up. So, so I have this conversation with this beautiful woman, Marnie, she was so fantastic. And she's like, okay. And she just helped me get the process started. And it was months and months of paperwork. I mean, of course, if the government's paying for something, it always is Um, months and months of paperwork while I'm still actively addicted to crack um, to finally get to go. And I mean, I smoked crack right up until basically I got on the plane. <laughs> exactly. No, that, that, that's normal. Okay. That's normal for many addicts. And indeed, one of the very first thing in my rehab was that they welcomed me and everything and let us take your luggage for you. And I thought, no, no, I can carry it. No, we take the luggage for you. And what they did then, two nurses went through and meticulously searched it for any kind of contraband, any kind of alcohol, any kind of drugs, etc. And that was my first introduction to never trust, <laughs> trust an addict. And uh, yeah, it is, well, fair enough. How many times have I lied? Um, yeah, it's, it is what it is. No, uh, amazing, amazing. But I loved it that you had this moment of clarity because many of us don't. And many of us need to be dragged in kicking and screaming. The problem is then you you really depend upon someone who truly loves you to actually do that deed. And sometimes mm -hmm. that just doesn't happen. So I was lucky. Um, you were lucky because you've had that insight. How did your parents respond? You were saying that you were brought up in a very religious household. Um, what was their understanding and their belief systems around addiction? Well, at the time, so my parents, it's a bit of a weird story. My parents have also had a bit of weird lives. So neither of them were particularly religious before I was born. Um, like they had, you know, sort of grow up for personal use kind of thing, like very hippies. And then, then they entered the Christian church when I was three months old and more or less left when I was 14, like not fully, but more or less, um, as I started to crash, it was kind of our whole family unit that was mm. kind of crumbling. And at the time, mostly it was punishment. Mostly it was anger and frustration. Um, and I was a bad kid. Uh, my mom has since changed her tune. My dad still insists that I deserved what I got because I was such a bad kid and that kind of thing. Um, which is fine. He's entitled to his own opinion and I love him and he loves me and in the best way he knows how, but, um, yeah, their, their belief system, <sighs> didn't really leave room for humanity, didn't really leave room for complex brain issues or, you know, like I remember when I was 17, I had actually tried to commit suicide. And I remember they were hurt and they were confused and, and they, they just, the, the education just wasn't there. You know, the, the doctors at the time when I was fully addicted to cocaine and maybe crack by that point, 
um, told them I had bipolar and they just believed it without question. Now I've seen many doctors since then, and I definitely do not have bipolar disorder type one or two, but they, they were just, they were desperate for answers, but didn't trust me to tell them how I was experiencing things. And so it was, it was just really messy. It was really messy. Crikey. But uh, it describes the impotence of parents, the, the frustration, the lack of knowledge, the lack of skills, all that. And I love it how you, how you describe that the addiction affected the whole family because it's a family disease. And many mm -hmm. people don't realize that. It's often the family members that are left out there. You were lucky to tap into this beautiful system of rehabilitation where people helped you. Did your parents ever get rehabilitation, so to speak? Did they see counselors? Did they get, uh, attend Al-Anon or anything like that? Um, to my knowledge, no, nothing drug specific. I know my parents split up when I was 18. Mm. And I know that my dad sought therapy and that that did wonders for him in processing his feelings around the separation and things like that. Um, but as far as actual education around addiction and all of that stuff, I don't think so. But like since, <clears throat> you know, in today's world, there's a lot more information available. Mm -hmm. And of course, With the work that I do, um, my parents do listen to my show and Excellent. therefore listen to experts um, yeah. talk to talk to me about these things. And so they do have some education now, but as far as like formal education or through 12 step, no. And it's a shame. It is the same happened to my wife when I was in rehab. I exploded in in my understanding and in my skills and I worked really really hard in getting myself sorted so after four weeks I came home and I expected rose petals on the ground and I expected fanfaries because I had done all this work well number one they had no idea that I did all this work <laughs> number two is they had lived continuously their own life as it was before And it was, there was quite a disconnect initially uh, where I realized actually, wow, none of them had really had the chance to grow as much as I did. And therefore I was actually moving away from them. And that was quite a bizarre thing. So there was, mm -hmm. there was, there was so many, so many conflicting emotions and messages running through my head, um, mm -hmm. keeping especially in mind that you're freshly clean so and for all of you out there who are who don't who have not been in our shoes the first few months and even depends on what you have taken over the years it might be up to a year and longer you are still you're you're an imbecile up there you're you're emotionally retarded you're you're really you're a mess and only because you have stopped using um what is left there is basically an emotional person at the level of when you started using so in your case you started using 12 13 you basically had a teenager emotionally uh in a in an adult body 
So that is that is probably the first thing to say. But also there are so many things changing in after rehab. There's a saying in rehab, the only thing that changes in recovery is everything. And so therefore it's a very confusing time and your brain is recovering. So it's like after a major head injury, you are recovering up there and, and it takes these months are confusing and, and mm -hmm. wild and weird. So <laughs> it is... It, do, I, do I describe it right? I mean, that was my experience. Have you had the same? My experience was was similar for sure in, in some areas, but I actually wasn't in a 12-step program. I was in one of the very few successful non-12-step programs. And, which one? Uh, which one? What, what kind of system? It's called Portage. It's called Portage. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's in uh, Eastern Canada mostly. So Quebec, mm -hmm. um, I think Nova Scotia. Uh, so there's a few of them and it's, uh, it's based sort of on like a military type thing. I don't know, like, I think the name of the program is Portage. Um, so it's like, you know, when you Portage a boat. Um, so, <laughs> and, and it was, it was actually for 10 months that I was in, in, uh, wow. re rehab, which is a really long time. Wow. So in some ways my experience is, is exacerbated because, you know, people kept living their lives for 10 months. Exactly. And they knew, they knew me as I left, not as I had become, right? So my, uh, my parents did visit, each of them visited once. And so they kind of had an idea of what was happening. But, you know, there was, there was so much education that needed to happen. And, and following rehab, even so much education that needed to happen to, uh, to you know, come to a place where I felt happy. Beautiful. Oh, beautiful. I now look at the Canadian healthcare system in a very, very different light. I mean, the, the classic 28 days, the four weeks of inpatient rehab, the only reason that it is 28 days is because in the United States, the, um, in the, United States, the uh, insurance system has limited the support to 28 days. That's the reason mm. that most systems are set up like that. Now, as it so happened, I think the 28 days were ideal for me. Um, that mm -hmm. was the, the, the system that has been used in, in, uh, the, in the Capri Hospital in, in Auckland, where I went. It worked really well for me, but I know that there are many other systems out there that are not necessarily following a 12-step program, but are following uh, more scientifically guided kind of principles, like smart recovery. There's women in recovery. There's uh, life ring. There are many other systems out there. So whilst I speak highly of the 12-step system because it made sense to me and I was able to apply many of the lessons to my life that does by no means mean that that other systems are inferior on the contrary uh they're all if if they are done proper they all have actually uh, they're on par and so it's really beautiful to hear that portage made such a, a big impact for you because it clearly changed your life mm -hmm. you 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 grew into a woman who did no longer need the drugs to alter her 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 feelings yeah. yeah and how beautiful is that how beautiful yeah it's fantastic and and I'm really so blessed and I mean one of the things that you touched on that I think is really really valuable and important is you said you know the, the 12 step made sense for you I found that when I went into 12 step 
particularly because I had so many issues with religious trauma uh, and with control that 12 step didn't resonate well with me and it didn't work well for me. And go. so I had, you know, I tried meetings and stuff and, and it just, unfortunately, like, and I have all the respect for 12 step. I mean, the results speak for themselves. Obviously it's helping people, mm. but for me, it didn't work well at all. Um, I'm also not very good at all or nothing. I'm very in between gray kind of person. And, uh, and it was really valuable to yeah. end up sort of almost by happenstance because I cared more about the location than the type of program when I was looking, yeah. uh, almost by happenstance end up in this program that taught me, you know, how to be comfortable in the gray and how to not, you know, not fall back into that lifestyle and teach me in a way that like, we still had the serenity prayer. So it wasn't completely like, you know, atheistic or, or whatever, but it wasn't focused on our spirituality. It wasn't focused on our connection to our higher power. It was focused on these tangible evidence-based tools that they had. So it was, it was, it was amazing. And I love that you mentioned that different programs work for different people. And that's why we have them. That's exactly right. And in all fairness, even within the 12-step program, um, the AA, let's go back to its origins. In the 30s, you've had two people who were absolute massive drunks, and they figured a system out that worked to keep them dry. And if you read the big book of AA, there are many beautiful stories in there. And one, one paragraph goes along the lines of, we tried everything. We tried drinking on the weekend only. We tried drinking on during the week. We, drink, we didn't drink beer, only schnapps. We didn't drink liquor, only beer. <laughs> Nothing worked until they came up with the 12 steps as a principle kind of thing. Now, the man who actually created that uh, system, he was not God-believing. He came out of the First World War as an atheist. He said, now there is no God, what I've seen in the First World War. But he was a very good salesman. And in mm -hmm. the 1930s, God sold. Easy. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, God came into the in a, a game plan here. So, and... Of course, if you are, if you live with Jesus Christ, if that is part and parcel of your fabric, then beautiful. It's the the the, the God in uh, in the AA can be a real God, but as it is written, is a God of your understanding. Mm -hmm. So that could mean if you're religious but you believe in Islam, uh, that's fine. God of your understanding, uh, Hindu. God of your understanding, et cetera, et cetera. So it doesn't matter which religion, number one. If you're not religious, God can be a group of orderly drunks, a group <laughs> of druggies. So that's because I had, like you, I don't believe in, in Christianity. I don't believe in religion, shall I say, and in, in, in the church. I, I had trouble with that. The moment someone said, yeah, group of drunks, of orderly drunks, shall I say. <laughs> um, then I had to say, okay, I can live with that. So guys, don't get hung up on God. Mm -hmm. That is the only thing I want to say. There are so many uh, secular AA groups out there. And mm -hmm. indeed, uh, the, the, the system or the, the Capri <clears throat> Hospital was not religious at all. Um, so it, it was common sense. And it was every single person there in that hospital was an addict themselves. So, and you can't bullshit a bullshitter. 
Um, so they all had been there. They all <laughs> could see me coming from a mile away. And my <laughs> my my defenses, no, no, I'm not an addict, really. Um, yeah, my ass. Um, so it was, I needed that. So these people knew what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. What what was the, the rehab in, in, in your place? Were the people, were they all experienced, quotation mark? Uh, were they all addicts themselves? You know, I actually don't know for sure. I know that at least some of the uh, the staff were addicts at some point, mm. but I don't know. I don't know. I don't think all of them were, but I really don't know mm. because the staff did a very good job of maintaining that that level of um, space between wow. their personal lives and their professional lives, mm. especially because the program that I was in was very much centered on building the participants of the program into positions of authority. So by the end of your program, you would be kind of the boss. It was called chief um, of the whole community for a week or two. Uh, so so because of that, the staff were there, there sort of as a support to the you know, positions of authority yeah. that the, the participants of, of or the clients or whatever you would call it of the rehab yeah. were in. Um, so yeah. And I mean, as far as the religious aspect of it goes like that, it's really interesting you say that because now you know, with some space, I understand that God does not have to mean one thing, but it was just the coming directly out of religion that it freaked me out. Oh, please. And your contrarian uh, attitude. <laughs> no surprise. <laughs> no surprise that you didn't take to that. But as, as we said, guys, uh, don't don't get hung up about one thing. Yes, but uh, I, I understand your beliefs. I understand where you guys are coming from. But if you say, no, no, there's no help for me. That's bullshit. That's absolute bullshit. There are so many systems out there that can be a lifeline for you. So please believe us. Believe us. It mm-hmm. worked. You've got you've got an expert here on my show in various systems that that didn't work for her. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. And that's just well, the same. That's the same as you is as when you're dating. Will you find the very first girl or man or human being you're dating, will that be your perfect partner? No, probably not. Oh, uh, what should be different with, with rehabilitation programs? So mm-hmm. come on. So don't give up. Don't give up. There's hope out there, honestly. Well, and the other thing, the other thing that I would add to that that's worth noting is that we are constantly building on our knowledge, especially when it comes to mental health, positive psychology, all sorts of things. So even if today, like if you tried every program that there is today, that doesn't mean that tomorrow there won't be one that works well for you. Beautifully said, beautifully said. And like, I mean, look at the two of us. We are constantly evolving. We are constantly growing. You are a lifelong learner. So am I. So therefore, inevitably, with every with every interview I do, I get new insights. I get new, new strength, new ideas, new power. So right now, me is a very different man that uh, than I was even a year ago when I started this show, or how I will be in even six months, twelve months down the line. It is. It's beautiful, and therefore the same applies to you. Don't, 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 don't put artificial obstacles in your way. There is help out there. Mm-hmm. There is help out there. Guys, believe us, believe us, believe us. Um, I certainly were in very, very dark moments where I did not believe that. And with hindsight, I have to say, 
that I'm pissed off with addiction because it had lied to me. My addiction lied to me constantly. And I'm so pleased that I can see that nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. And like one of the things that I find really helpful sort of in that moment is sometimes like I couldn't access belief in, in the good. And, and I kind of go into this sort of what I call survival mode, where it's just biggest priority is to take care of myself mm. and do the best that I can and not worry too much about the details. Mm. And it's sort of like, you know, when you put your computer to sleep, you know, it's not gone, but it's sleeping, it's resting. And I kind of do that with my, with my mental health is I, I let it rest. <laughs> Beautifully said. And I think, and, and, but that now comes, uh, I think we should continue with your story because <laughs> you were, you were here, this, this wild rebellious teenager, um, who, who, uh, had a, an amazing five years of a roller coaster. And now you are, you're basically a young woman. You actually have graduated with honors. You got yourself clean <laughs> and beautiful. So what was the new Cara planning to do? Well, it took me a long time to figure out um, at all what I wanted to do. I know that like I kept studying. Um, and when I say studying, I mean like researching like the NCBI, you know, scholarly articles and stuff like that, trying to understand my brain further, you know, talking to psychologists, going to therapy, mm-hmm. talking to people just to try to understand what what was wrong with me? And I know that that sounds really kind of funny, but, you know, trauma has a really big impact on the way that we interact. And in the meantime, you know, trying to keep from that lifestyle and trying to be, you know, mindful of how I'm socializing, who I'm socializing with. And, and, you know, I'm not going to lie. I did a poor job at different points. You know, I was not, I was not always doing stellar, but there, you know, I, I just sort of, plugged along and I started working obviously well not obviously but I was working in nine to five and it was really great and I really loved my work and then I got sick mm-hmm. and getting sick sucked it sucked so much um chronic pain disorders are it's a lot it's a lot and um so they at first put me on a lot of different medications uh um, they had originally diagnosed me with uh, rheumatoid arthritis actually before they realized fibromyalgia. Mm. And so they put me on um, that one that Trump was recommending for COVID and a bunch of other ones. Um, I can't remember any of their names. Hy- hydroxychloroquine, that's what yeah. it's called. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a bunch of other ones. And I had to take uh, methotrexate. I had to inject myself. And anyways, my point is that I gained a bunch of weight and I gained a bunch of sadness. I was hella sad. And really, really struggled for a long time. And I kept trying to work and kept crashing. But on the bright side, me continuing to try to work and crashing my body actually led to the diagnosis of sarcoidosis because I worked my body so hard that I was coughing blood. And so they did a chest x-ray and that led to a bronchoscopy. And it's actually the better of the two diagnoses because it was that or lymphoma. Um, So sarcoidosis is, I think, better because it's only like... Mm like kind of potentially maybe lethal, but probably not. Um, so okay. I, I stopped you there because the, the many viewers will think, what, what are you talking about? So breaking it down in simple words, fibromyalgia is a weird disease where the nerves and the muscles have 
just a field day. In other words, there is chronic inflammation in the muscles and literally uh, it's a whole body pain. Every muscle hurts and you, you will find out that you have got muscles that you never knew you had. And that's where the pain is. And the, there, unfortunately, it's a diagnosis that doesn't just cover muscles. It's an inflammatory disease. And it basically uh, covers there for so many other symptoms in your head from fogginess to, to, to mood disorders, to, to changes in sleep patterns. It's basically awful. And it's, and you can, you can actually, you, if you ever wanted to find out how it feels like, then I ask you to not sleep for three nights, keep awake for 72 hours. Every single muscle hurts you. Everything will hurt you. Everything, you're foggy as hell. You don't know if you're a boy or girl. Um, you are in an absolute trance and welcome to fibromyalgia. So that's, that's probably the best way you can do it. And the mean mm -hmm. thing is what happens in fibromyalgia, you've got pain, which disturbs the sleep. Uh, that disturbs the mood. Now you develop depression. Depression has the, as one of the key symptoms, poor sleep, which causes pain. You get the idea. You've got a beautiful cycle of chaos happening. So chronic inflammation, not good for you. And mm -hmm. then just to be really super, super, um, you know, and a high achiever as Kara is, she gets another inflammatory disease, which is called sarcoidosis. And that's again, an inflammatory disease where lymph nodes are basically sort of just growing and it can, they can grow everywhere, that lymph tissue, and therefore it can affect every single organ in the body. So you have that two multi-system diseases that can affect the heart, the liver, the pancreas, all these kind of weird the things, <laughs> the brain, exactly. Everything that can be sort of in you and hallmarks basically of both of these diseases is foggy head, your brain, exactly. What we, how we define ourselves, all that, that thing there that's affected and pain all over the body. And then throw in a few things like coughing, like yeah. asthma, like this, like that. Depends um, on skin, what. skin stuff. I, uh, I get these like burns almost. They, they're like burns, mm. so they appear out of nowhere. Mm. Just randomly on cool. my skin. They don't go away. Cool. <laughs> Fun. Hey. <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's a short introduction to chronic pain and to chronic uh, diseases. And two of which you have found and uh, in yourself, and that's a bitch. Um, it, when was that? When were the first symptoms in relation to your recovery? How long were you more or less in a good spot? And um, then when did the symptoms start? Well, there were some symptoms um, from a pretty young age. So when I was 18, I told my mom I had growing pains, and she's like, Carrie, you're not growing anymore. Um, but between 18 and 24, it, it wasn't concerning enough that I actively and strongly pursued a diagnosis. Um, so when I, when I was 24, so got clean at 18 and then between 18 and 24, I was healthy enough to work and, you know, not worry too, too much. And then at 24, everything crashed. I had to quit working. Um, and they put me on all these drugs, which of course caused all these side effects. Some of them I still deal with today. Um, it was only last year that I stopped having to see an ophthalmologist for, you know, some of the side effects and stuff. 
Um, and then, and then I was, it wasn't until I was 28, 29, somewhere in there that like I, along the way, I was still, you know, studying happiness and, and studying psychology, like again, you know, not officially, but through research papers and talking to professionals. And, uh, and then when I was 29, I was in an abusive relationship um, where, you know, I mean, he wasn't, I don't think that he was trying to abuse me. I think he was just a hurt person hurting people. Um, But I made a friends online and told them the story, this one random story of like, you know, what's going on. And they convinced me to leave him and everything just kind of catapulted from there. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm probably missing a lot of details. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to start crying, by the way, that was Mm. bizarre. That doesn't usually happen. Um, but, uh, (laughs) but the, Oh, look, it is, that is normal. Uh, That is, that is, it is, you're just talking about your life and uh, you're so, so kind and you're, you're honoring me by, by opening up about those hard times whilst you're now the the, the conquerors of bliss and of, of joy, (laughs) it comes because you have seen the dark times and Mm. you're now reliving them. And I'm so grateful that, that you're, that you can do that because it shows how much you have gone through and it shows the transformation to who you have become now. And that is the transformation that might be waiting out there for any of the listeners and viewers right now. They might become like you. They might become a new version of themselves despite of what they have gone through or despite of where they find themselves right now and that is so powerful and for that i want to send you a huge hug there and it's a careful hug because if you hug someone in the car ow 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 ow, ow everything <laughs> bloody hurts so so true but, my poor but, partner has, <laughs> he'll like you know like poke me teasingly and i'm like ow and he's like what's wrong i'm like play from my elder. oh that's right exactly <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I sort of came like, it's amazing how it always starts with one step and then things can start to cascade into goodness. Right. And of course you never know what first step it's going to be. So you have to take out like a thousand first steps. But for me, that first step was leaving this relationship (laughs) and taking back my power. And then I was stuck with no home, um, on an Island that I knew almost no one and had to figure it out from there which I mean that's pretty dramatic because my mom let me stay at her house and I did know my mom Uh, (laughs) but uh, you know I kind of left everything I knew and just started you know reading more self-help books and reading more of these papers and you know really trying to understand not only the brain but my own brain so so now I'm doing mindfulness meditation regularly and really diving into The idea that just because I'm in physical pain doesn't mean I need to constantly be in emotional pain too. Um, You know, is if I'm going to be sick, I'd rather at least be happy and sick instead of miserable and sick. (laughs) (laughs) And that so goes against the grain. Uh, But it comes from the point of darkness. You have been in the darkness. Many other people, they have been in gray areas. Uh, and then the pain comes 
And then now they are in the darkness and in pain, and they can't see the way out. That is what I've seen again and again uh, in my past as a pain physician, um, that realization. So you actually already had a superpower because you had already gone through the darkness and you have crawled out. You have crawled away from the abyss uh, before the chronic pain started. So you had already mm. a track record of winning and a track record of beating nearly insurmountable odds at least that's how it appears to you at the time and here you are so yeah, and you know statistically pretty good uh pretty good record too so uh, exactly exactly um, yeah right. it's incredible really and and i mean i count myself to be very blessed right like at the end of the day one thing that i like to remember my family was always very um like academically elite mm. if that makes sense to you and one of the things that i realized is I'm very, very lucky that I have the brain that I do, that I have the creativity that I do, mm. and that I have the capacity to start to sort of understand these puzzle pieces and put them together. And that sort of, uh, I don't want to say gratitude, but that appreciation has gone a really, really long way. You know, like just appreciating, I am, not only do I live in Canada where, you know, a lot of these things are much more possible than a lot of other places in the world. But I also, you know, the gifts that I've been given far outweigh the challenges. Wow. Wow. No, that's humbling. That's humbling. That realization. And I'm, I'm so happy for you that, that you came to that point. It's actually, it's a point that, that many of my guests here on this show echo. Because if I ask any of them, if you were to be able to go back in a time machine, what would you change? And more often than not, the answer is nothing. Yeah. Because the person I've become, I would have never become that person that knew me had I not gone through those hard times. And that is, it's virtually a universal answer that my guests have so therefore and it's okay fair call this is maybe a select group of people who have gone through trauma have transformed and now at a point that they want to give back and that they want to share and that they are able to talk about their insights and that is that is where you are that is why you have chosen to go on the offensive so to speak onto the bliss offensive to actually <laughs> to 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 shout it from the rooftops on your show that happiness is not just possible, but happiness is something that you can work towards and that you can create. And it takes steps. <laughs> and I love to say, I love your saying, I, I, I've done thousand uh, first steps. That's brilliant. <laughs> That's so true because you never know what steps will actually lead to momentum and mm -hmm. carry you forward. So it's so true. So true. Uh, hey, it, it, you did it. And therefore, guys, listen, listen here. If if Kara can do it, if I can do it, come on, you can. There's, there's no doubt about that. So it is just take that first little step. Oh, so tell us about your show, because right now, so you have gone through two periods of darkness in your life. And you say, nah, nah. The Viking <laughs> shield maiden, the conquerors of bliss. 
as not giving up. On the contrary, I'm only just getting started. So that's, uh, that's pretty accurate. So my show is called The Conquest of Bliss, and it is basically me having conversations with people, a lot of whom are educated and some who aren't, um, about about happiness and well-being. And you know, I mean, the funny thing is, like like you said, happiness is something that you can create. Um, reality really is something that you can create. You can shape your reality in ways that would blow your mind. Um, and, you know, but it's not just that simple, you know, it's also about shame and understanding that, you know, shame is a complicated thing that can get in the way of our enjoyment of life and sort of just breaking apart the many facets of well-being. And I mean, I've done it for a year and a half now, and I still have a long way to go to even scratch the surface. And, uh, and so it's really cool. Cause like I said, I talked to, sometimes it's like neuroscientists, psychologists, yeah. or people who are like real smart, or <laughs> sometimes I talk to people who are just like me, who, you know, maybe graduated high school, maybe didn't, and have had their periods in life that were challenging and what tools worked and how some of the tools that we talk about with the experts play out in real life. And so that's the basis of the show. And I mean, I'm awkward and nerdy and, you know, lovely. So, <laughs> um, yeah. And you can find me anywhere. If you search it. But I need to say something here. The, um, how do you define smart? Yes, I was best at school. Okay. Because I, I started mediocre. I uh, got the right incentives. I ended up best at school. Cool. So then I became a doctor. I guess you could say I'm smart. And what happened to me? I'm an addict. I I am depressed. Uh, or let's rephrase that. Uh, I am still an addict, but an addict who is happily uh, living a new life. I have suffered from depression, PTSD, anxiety, and I now have learned how to manage these things. So smart or any level of achievement, however you judge smartness in lives, means bugger all when it comes to addiction and mental health. Okay, I've had so many really smart people who were on the receiving end of depression, of anxiety, etc. And if you if you look through world history, you will see a cornucopia mm -hmm. of mental health problems in people where you think, wow, these are on the top of their game. So guys, smart has bugger all to do with it. Uh, mental health problems are normal and they transcend society in every strata, every skin color, every sexual orientation, it does not matter. Um, okay, so let's let's throw that out of the, the water. <laughs> we are all susceptible. We are all broken beings. Okay, mm -hmm. some of us admit to it. And some of us are <laughs> shouting it now from the rooftops here. Uh, others are still living in secret and living in hiding because of their shame and guilt, because they think it's impossible that I could admit to my sadness because I am a, I don't know, a fitness, a fitness instructor. I'm going bouncy, bouncy, bounce in front of people. That's my life. I need to infuse them. If I admit that I'm a, a sad person, that I'm suffering from depression, no way. I lose my job. You know, they're these kind of, of funky, funky thinkings. I'm a lawyer. There's no way that I can admit what will happen. Oh, my God. When they see that I'm drinking a bottle of scotch every night. What about I'm a pastor? I'm a 
And it doesn't matter what you are. It affects all of us. Chronic pain can affect all of us. Um, there's, it's, stop, stop thinking that you're somehow special. And because you're somehow special, therefore you can't seek help. That's the biggest lie that chronic diseases, that mental health problems and that addictions tell us that there is, oh, no, 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 you, you, you can't possibly get better. Bullshit. So, uh, yeah, I completely echo those sentiments. Intelligence is um, massively various thing. Like you have academic intelligence is for some reason what we value the most in our society out loud, at least. Hmm. Um, social intelligence is probably what we actually value most in our society, but we do it real quiet. And uh, and then there's dozens of other kinds of intelligence, hmm. physical intelligence hmm. and all sorts of other things. So, um yeah, and I couldn't agree more. There, there is no one on this planet that's above mental health problems, mm. and uh, there's no one on this planet that's not smart in some way. So true. And therefore, if we go from that premise, what exactly stops you? <laughs> Sorry, I don't hear you out there. I don't hear you. <laughs> there is nothing. There's nothing. Seek help. Please, please, please dream of who you want to become. And then figure out who do you need to talk to to get rid of the hurdles that maybe you have put in your way or that are in your way. And who, what could be your first step, the first tiny, the first one of the many thousand first steps that are possible. You just need to choose one and do it mm -hmm. and take it, isn't it? How cool is and that? One thing that always works for me, just real quick, one thing that always works for me is using little life hacks. So if I'm having a hard time being kind to myself, I go, well, how would my, I want someone to treat my best friend's best friend, you know, or, you know, if I'm having issues with pride and I don't want to get help because it's issues with pride. Well, I think, you know what, I like, like, I, I kind of look at the pride as there's like, I don't, I have too much pride to be seen as someone who's prideful. So I may as well get help because then I won't be seen as someone who's prideful. And I just kind of use these little, little loops to trick myself into doing what I know is right for myself. <laughs> which is perfect, which is perfect. That's exactly how you deal with your own psychology, with your own psyche, because we are all quirky and we all have got weird kind of thoughts up there and weird belief systems. They are part of you. Uh, and, and, it's a circus up there and you can either be the ringmaster or the bearded lady. Now I've been the bearded lady for a long time. Uh, <laughs> it's not pretty. Okay. So I rather go for the, um, for the ringmaster nowadays. And that means that I have to keep the, the monkeys up there <laughs> nicely separated <laughs> because otherwise they come out to play and it's not pretty. I tell you that. <laughs> same, same. Mm -hmm. Cool. Now, Kara, uh, if if people want to learn more about you, if they want to learn more about your show, um, how can they do that? Where can they find you? You can find me at theconquestofbliss.com. That's theconquestofbliss.com. It's shared with my art site. So you might, you have to click a little button that says podcast. Um, you can also find me on all my socials at theconquestofbliss or Twitter is at theconquestofb1 because I'm not good at Twitter. Um, I'm probably most active on Facebook and Instagram, um, as well as my website. And my website actually has little perks like having uh, little little articles that I've written or audios that I've done. I just did an audio of affirmations for when you first wake up 
that kind of stuff. So probably the website is, and obviously anywhere like Spotify or anywhere podcasts are found, the conquest of bliss. (laughs) And guys have a look down there in the uh, description uh, of the podcast and of this video, you find all the links down there. It's very easy to click. And whilst you're practicing the clicking, uh, before you click on hers, there's a little subscribe button down there. And I strongly encourage you, press the subscribe button because I have got so many fantastic guests coming onto my show. And if you're subscribed, if you subscribe, then you will see who is coming. And it is, I'm on a beautiful journey of learning myself, of discovering. And every 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 new guest I bring onto my show, I learn new things about me and about the world and about I get I get a big buzz out of it. I get an hour of therapy here out of it, after <laughs> all. And it's beautiful. And yes, there will be some tears like today. Yes, there will be some hard truths spoken on my show. Um, but I guess there is something to be said about that. Let's demystify human health. Uh, human health. Let's demystify mental health problems. Let's actually humanize the taboos. Let's break the taboos and actually talk about the real people and what causes behaviors. So hate the addiction, love the addict, that principle. So there's so much more that we can highlight and talk about. But today I've had Kara here with me, Kara Fanstrom, who was incredibly honest and powerful in her message. And I'm so grateful that that you shared your moments with me. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me. I had a really good time despite the tears. It's okay. I cry almost every day. It's healthy. Um, (laughs) And yeah, I just had a really good time talking to you today. Oh, fantastic. And you guys out there, look after yourself. You can do it. Guys, I believe in you. Stay strong. Bye. 